0: The subject for the evening talk is today and tomorrow. And in this talk with you this evening, I would like the talk, of course, to be of interest for all, and particularly for those who are here with us for the weekend period. (coughs) We have been Told, I think probably right from very early in our life, the importance of the future. It has been a message which has been pressed home to us through a variety of very influential uh, sources and institutions in our life. And I think we sometimes imagine that the messages which we hear as people in our society is somehow very common around the world. And I think what we often forget is that some of the messages, and this one of the future, is one which is particularly emphasised in our particular society. It's not a common message, it's common to particular forms of society. And so in other cultures and in other societies, there is, or at least there was, more a way of being in the world in which One was with the seasons of things, with the changes of things and not so much this emphasis on tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Because we have to quite some degree internalised the importance of tomorrow and given it major significance, I think it leads to all sorts of consequences for us in our relationship to the present. And I think it also has a deeper background to it as, as well. And I think rather, just speaking very generally here, rather unfortunately in our society over many centuries, through some of our major institutions, a message has been put out to us that we are not good, so to speak, as we are, and we can only become good through some event or events happening for us. And I think this strain, this thread, is one which is in a way a form of indoctrination. I think that has occurred in orthodox religion, both of East and of West, in which sometimes in society, in Christian culture, sometimes it has been expressed is that we begin in original sin, we begin as sinners, and only through an event taking place can we come out of being sinful and become saved, changed, born again, or whatever. We have it in our society as well. I think the same kind of message goes out We are not good enough as we actually are, but only by achieving in this field, succeeding in doing this, gaining that, acquiring that, then we become successful. And so we start off on a premise of not being worthwhile, not being successful, and we have to do an immense amount to get this sensation, this feeling of, achievement of success. I think sometimes the same message goes out in some forms of religion, some forms of psychotherapy, some forms of psychoanalysis, where sometimes if one turns one's attention to the past or is invited to, to childhood, to early formative experiences, it's as though we can turn the attention back and we start off just with the bad news this is what it was like and now I've got to work on myself and I've got to do this, that and the other from the past and the present and then I'll be okay and we, with those those types of conditioning and I think that its forms of conditioning, we do very easily believe and inherit the view that the past is wrong, failed, bad, negative, sinner, or whatever it might be. Now I am like this, so something has to happen either through my efforts or through some intervention, then I'll be okay. And I think we believe it. And when we believe it so strongly and others believe it and it does the rounds again and again, we find it hard to understand that this is what we believe. And we substitute the uh, the notion that this is a belief, and we s- and we begin to think this is the truth. I have, to, I am like this. I am not good enough. I'm a failure. I'm a sinner. I'm, I've got all these problems. I've got all this to work out in my past. Da, 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 da. And what very easily happens, of course that in our unpleasant experiences, in the unsatisfactory experiences that we have in our daily life, we use these unpleasant experiences and unsatisfactory events to reinforce the view, I am like this. This is just further proof of it. If I'd had different experiences, I'd be so different if I'd had different teachers I'd be so different if I lived born in a different place or whatever it might be so I think it's important that we're l- looking at the present being aware of the typical ways that we look at ourselves and how we look at the present in relationship to the future What's typical? What do the patterns show to us? And therefore, since we've had today, what have we been noticing about ourselves today and the way we've been looking at ourselves today? And, to ask ourselves, have I, in my experience of today, tending to be looking at just what's been unsatisfactory. Have I been highlighting that exclusively? And the day might have been, I don't know, it might have been totally bad news from morning till now. Or it might be that this is the image that one has, do you understand? About today, this is the typical way of thinking about today. Oh, I'm so lazy, bored, dull, tired, backache, knee ache, shoulder ache, head headache, mind ache, emotions unsettled, mind wandering, distracted, oh, tomorrow I go home, thank God for that, etc. <laughs> So one might be viewing this whole situation What about those who are staying? Have compassion. (laughs) So one might be viewing the situation in that way and the memory can be strong enough that one can't perceive or actually recall today anything different from this experience, from this memory. One has got so used to viewing things negatively, failure, bad, unsuccessful, sinner, whatever it might be, that the memory just repeats it that way. So I think when we look at an experience, like the experience of today, let's look at it and see if we can recall and be clear about experiences of today which were unsatisfactory, not to deny them, and the experiences of today which were not of that. There might even have been a moment in the day when one smiled, who knows? There might have been a moment one experienced a moment of contentment, uh, uh, a peace of mind, uh, 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 a joy at, at seeing or hearing something or whatever, a moment's laughter or whatever. So that we can recognise those moments and we recognise them in such a way that we don't say the pain comes first, the failure comes first, the, the I have to do because I am like this. Understand? We, we, we're not saying one, as the society has told us, or the religion has told us, that came first, because I don't believe it, and I'm sure plenty of others don't either. But, awareness and mindfulness, as I have a, um, a cutting here, it's from I've never seen this before in my visits here. It's called Funny Times, a Monthly Humour Review. So while I was um, hanging out in the staff dining room, someone said they um, saw a piece, which I'll read in a moment, which is on the back page, and they thought of me. So I'll uh, read it to you in a, um, a moment or two. And I think in this looking at the past and being aware in a more balanced way of our past has a bearing and a significance on our relating to the present. And from the present, our relating to the future. In our looking at the present and our uh, contact with the present, In the present, the present reveals itself to us through our eyes, through our ears, through our nose, smell, tongue, taste and touch. The the world of senses. In this world of senses, there the intimations and the messages of the world keep coming to us. During the course of the day, in a day like today, there have been numerous intimations of messages of the world revealing to us. But also we have equally the inner world, which is also belonging very much to the here and now experience. What's our inner world? And remember, the inner world and the outer world is only separated through the thought. Only the thought makes the separation. So in our inner world, here we've been experiencing much in our inner world. And our inner world, in the present, keeps being made manifest. What's been going on here for you today and for me today tells us everything we need to know about life, and liberation. The patterns, the events of our life have been shown to us during the sequences of today. And so in the, the moment, and it might not seem a great deal to work with, but there's enough being shown and revealed to us to tell us everything that we need to know in one single day. And sometimes we can get a sense of that even in just one period of walking, of sitting. And I think what we sometimes forget and neglect forget with ourselves is what the work is all about is looking at the relationship to what's taking place Let me take some examples to make it a little bit uh, clearer, hopefully Um, Sometimes when one is is uh, sitting, as one person was pointing out today and others of you will experience this one is sitting, and one comes into the meditation room with some degree of commitment to the situation. I come here to look at the present moment, to be in touch with the breathing. One might start off with quite some degree of interest and enthusiasm and commitment. After a short or longer period of time, the energy in the focus begins to wane five minutes, ten minutes, twenty-five minutes or whatever and then one's mind goes off out to lunch or looks forward to it and, or back on it or whatever and then one hears, may all beings live with clarity or something like this <laughs> and say, so, ah, right and in between time, as very easily happens with us, we've been distracted and gone off in different directions, etc. Is that s- small, incidental situation telling us something about our patterns in life? See, it's so easily easy to conclude at the end of the sitting, oh well... There'll always be another sitting, or, um, well, I blew it, or uh, not even have a comment about it. Just, you know, wander off into the rain and (laughs) (laughs) come back later on. And we might have missed an opportunity to see if there's a pattern being revealed and what ways we can explore working with that. So some people are wonderful beginners, but not very skilled or familiar with completions, or not very accepting of completions. Sometimes we we start things with great initiative, and I think there is quite often in what we do an expectation of continuity. And we get identified with continuity in all sorts of ways. So, in the kind of language we use here, we're just seeing the arising. We're just experiencing the continuity and we become quite forgetful of endings and finishings and completions. So again, in our looking at how we're experiencing events which are taking place, a great freedom in life is to see the beginnings, to see the middling period, and to recognise and know completions, finishings. Let me tell you, I mentioned earlier on about other cultures and societies. In uh, Thailand, in rural Thailand, almost mantra-like people will say in the villages there GER, GER, JEP, DIE and GER means birth, GER means uh, ageing, "jeb" means pain, DIE means death, GER, ger JEP, DIE And the people in the villages will, and have said this, from one generation of men, women and children to another. It's kind of built in to the the social and religious fabric of the society. And what I found, as one who spent some years in Thailand, is that the regularity of using this, it, it, it gets, as it were, deeper into one's, cellular life, and it gives a kind of perspective on situations. It doesn't lead to coldness and detachment and withdrawal, but it's like some understanding begins to take place of the processes of life for which all are submitted to. Birth, ageing, pain at times and death. And I think sometimes we forget that, we forget the arising and the falling, we forget the coming and the going. And when we forget that, we just see one aspect. When this comes to present and into future, And perhaps some of you, while you have uh, been here, have had some thoughts about after the weekend, after the retreat, and what you might or might not do. Some of those thoughts will be useful and uh, helpful, beneficial thoughts. Sometimes we know we're just going around in circles. So in a way, useful thought, it seems to me, future thought, leads to, lends itself to some kind of action. But I think what's being required of us today is to learn and to remember to think bigger than ourselves. And I think this is an immense challenge for for all of us. I mean, this to give you um, the background uh, here, then I'll um, get round to reading this um, cutting, which has got the reading of the will, which is the... Uh, just um, um, uh, recently, I was uh, at a, a conference of uh, uh, philosophers in, uh, at Cambridge University in England, and though I'm certainly not a professional uh, uh, philosopher in any way and had the privilege of leaving school at uh, 15, so <laughs> and in listening to them and quite a international um, gathering of them one of the things which struck me, fairly or unfairly, but anyway, struck me in the listening to them, that very easily there's a kind of message which comes over and I think this reflects in our thinking of issues being just human-centred, just issues about and for humans, as though everything else, as it were, takes second place to us. Now when we've really internalised this just for humans, I think what happens is not only does that show itself in our present but it also shows itself in our thinking about the future. And I think one of the things which we receive in these kind of uh, teachings and in the, the Dharma teachings is the thread or the theme of dependent arising. It's not just humans, but life-dependently arising. Creatures, environments, situations, dependently arising. And that when we think about ourselves, we need to think carefully about ourselves in relationship to the world that we live in. Understand? Not to think about just me, but me in my world, me in my environment, me and my situation. And when we don't, it's at terrible cost. Terrible cost. So our present and future thought matters considerably. And in this newspaper here, the uh, writer of it has used humour, which is a wonderful way of getting things over, to make a very serious point. Dear kids, we, the generation in power since World War II, seem to have used up pretty much everything ourselves. (laughs) We've kind of drained all the resources out of our manufacturing industries, so there's not much left there. The beautiful old buildings that were built to last for centuries, we tore down and replaced with characterless but inexpensive structures. And you can have them. (laughs) Except everything we built had a lifespan about the same as ours. So like the interstate highway system we built, they're all falling apart now (laughs) and you'll have to deal with that. We used up as much of our natural resources as we could without providing for renewable ones. So you're probably only good until about a week from Thursday. (laughs) We did build a generous social security and pension system, but that was just for us. In fact, the only really durable thing we built was toxic dumps. (laughs) You can have those. So think of your inheritance as a challenge. The challenge of starting from scratch. You can begin as soon as, oh, one last thing, as soon as you pay off the two trillion dollar debt we left you. <laughs> your parents. <laughs> and underneath it there's a little message and it says, Gee, thanks. <laughs> so thinking of giving consideration to the present and our relationship to the present, it includes within its scope, and rather vitally at this time, future thought and not only about the way that we think about the future, but what's the relationship of that to the present? Do you understand? Sometimes we're thinking about the future as though it's wholly and totally divorced from the present. Or we think about the future based on a reaction to the present. As one person pointed out in one of the small groups, upon arriving Yesterday evening, there was the opening talk. It lasted for about, uh, what, 40, 45 minutes. And then to um, have a, what we say, a, a gradual path, there was just a five minute sitting at the end of that talk. And one person, and it's probably quite common, a number of you, the person sat and after five minutes, thought, phew, so much tension in my body, I feel so stiff. And then the thought arose out of this, how am I going to stand this for another week long, yet yet another day, how am I going to take this? (laughs) So, easily based on a five minute experience, thought about the future arises and the thought about the future is grim because five minutes is nine times less than 45 minutes. So this situation easily repeats itself. Fortunately for this person, the day was distinctly different from the thought about it. So when we catch ourselves futurizing. Is it coming out of a reaction to the present or from alienation to the present, from the present? And is there a relationship between our present way of being and our future way of thinking? And sometimes we might be spending a lot of time thinking about the future, because it's expressing to us difficulty in knowing how to handle the present. And with so much conditioning, it becomes the escape route. At this um, conference, I, um, amongst others, was asked to give a talk, and I was speaking about knowledge, and the limits of knowledge, and the end of knowledge. And I think when we look from the human point of view, I think this is significant in terms of present to future, to look carefully at the way that we not only give out knowledge because some of you will be in fields working where you are giving out a, a great deal of knowledge in your life, but also what kind of knowledge we are giving out and what's the relationship of that knowledge to the person who is receiving the knowledge. And I think sometimes we forget the person, and we get just involved in the knowledge itself, in the giving out of the knowledge, neglecting the recipient of it. And one of the things which concerns me in colleges and in university and in teaching fields, that there has been for quite a few years, and perhaps most of our, if not all of our lifetime an incredible emphasis on the generating of knowledge which gets used in the present to achieve something in the future. And it's not considering adequately enough the effect of the knowledge on the person. So knowledge has become such a sacred cow in our society that the acquisition of knowledge takes an immense priority. And it's more so, if I may say, in the States than any other country that I go to. It's a wonderful country for people who are thinking of going back to school. Back to school. For what? For more knowledge. Fine and well and appropriate, but... With so much social pressure on people to gain more knowledge it easily leads to stress, tension, confusion, despair, drugs, alcohol, overeating, oversleeping, dropping out, dropping in, whatever. And I think that too frequently we're not considering one thing in relationship to another. And these teachings are about these kind of relationships. Our relationship to the past, our relationship to the present, our relationship to the future, our relationship to knowledge. And I think many of our institutions need to change dramatically because there isn't that consideration. Of people in their relationship to events. An immense cost to many, many, many of you know this. So, in that, when we are looking at the present and in the present in its relationship and our relationship to the present, some of you who are here and have just come here for the weekend and might describe yourself as being in some state of transition, of possible transition. Sometimes the transition from present to future shows itself in the present I might need to leave behind in order to make changes to formulate for myself a different future. I'm looking at my relationship to the present. The present is known to me. I'm familiar with this particular form of the present. And I've decided, or I'm in the process of deciding, to make a change in some aspect of the present. Work, relationship, study, living place, all or something else or whatever. And I see a need to do that. Or I'm in the process of doing that. So I'm going from what's familiar to me, what's known to me, to something different and therefore unknown. And in making that transition, the more I think about it, and the more I talk about it, and the more I wonder about it, and I write about it, and I, whatever, speculate about it, to understand if one is At the present time on that road, it might be as the choice gets closer do I stay or do I go, that the area of conflict about it will come. If you think about things and talk about things in terms of considering of making of changes then to be aware and be prepared for the possibility of conflict. of staying with what's familiar or making changes with regard to what's familiar. And what happens, that when we're feeling uncertain about the present into the future, in our uncertainty, we often, naturally, will look to friends to say to us, what should I do? And then everybody else has got their philosophy and their countless views and opinions and they oh, you should stay, no, no, you should go, no, 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 etc., etc. And this all feeds into the uncertainty about present into future. Somewhere trust needs to be expressed. My faith is. If in a mindful and meditative care and attention to the living present and sustaining that, some, some of us have found through that and that exploration of that, that it's easier to make changes and make decisions. If I can feel, see the colour in my eyeballs, hear the sounds of the day, stay in touch with the pleasant and the unpleasant of today and work with that, there's some human resource that seems to take place within us which allows decision making free from pains of conflict. So just finally now, in our life is past, present and future. Our world as a formation is involved in these three times. If we have to live with peace, in peace with ourselves and our world, it will be peace with the past, peace with the present and peace with the, the, th- the thoughts of future with giving care to our situation, ordinary small situations are a revelation of our life. The small, seemingly inconsequentials that take place when sitting and walking and eating are a revelation of patterns. The moments of joy, of wonder, of interest, those moments are as much deeply rooted in our being as anything which is unsatisfactory and painful. So let's, when we notice the thought arising about the past, let's let's notice if there's a typical way of thinking about it. If there's thoughts about the future, is there a typical way of thinking about it? is a a reaction to the present that pushes us to the past and the future. So that we view in our relationship to life, we view as much as possible with interest what's occurring. Not trying to come to some absolute answer and to some fixed position. But this is all the stuff of life. And all of it, every thought, in a way, is a wonder, itself. It's just as deep and as profound as the sunrise and the sunset. The inner world is just as magical as taking a a walk in the Himalayas. And sometimes we seem to forget all of this in our constant and efforts to have it all right for ourselves. May all beings be aware of the events of time. May all beings abide joyfully. May all beings be touched with wonder.